0: Welcome to the Subject Composition and Light Photography Podcast. Show notes, links and contact details can be found at robnumphoto.com That's www.robnumphoto.com SCL is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network and loads of other great tech podcasts can be found over at www.techpodcast.com Now on with the show. Hi and welcome to SCL The Subject, Composition and Light Photography Podcast. My name's Rob from Robnonphoto.com and this is my little audio diary about my journey through the wonderful world of photography. It's the 16th of June, 2013. Uh, It's actually my birthday. It's also Father's Day. (laughs) Fabulous. Um, And uh, yeah, it's raining outside so it's time for a podcast. I thought today I'd talk about... um, I've set up a couple of little extra blog type things, I went on a really quick sunset shoot the other night, Um, I'll do a quick review of the Franca camera, uh, 35mm, and a great National Geographic book that I picked up a couple of weeks ago, so yes, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, or uh, happy birthday to anybody who shares my birthday too, I'm all of 41 today, fantastic. Suzanne and Oliver have gone down the gym, so it's given me a couple of hours just to record a quick podder. Before you ask, what did I get today? Um, I got a couple of pairs of trousers. Um, I got a some Maltesers, which is uh, a chocolate, nice big box of those, which is very good. I got uh, one of those utility vest type things, <laughs> you, you know, that you see photographers, older photographers wearing with like lots of pockets in, that looks quite interesting so I um, picked that up from uh, from uh, the charity shop where she works, with. so that's, that's really nice and um, what else did I get? Oh I got a nose hair clipper, you know one of those things as you get older, the hair stops growing on your head but it starts coming out of your ears and your nose, so I got an electronic one of those, so instead of me having to pluck them out or not bother, Getting them, I've got an electronic version, so happy days! Right, so on with the show. On with the show, what have we got today? Well, one of the things that, you know, social media I mean, I'm no expert, I mean, I have my blog, um, and I guess the, the biggest thing I'm involved in is, is Flickr, really, for posting my photos, getting involved in not that many discussions, but I'm I will be getting involved in more discussions on lots of different groups. In fact with the recent update to Flickr you know, and if you haven't tried it by now I don't understand it, get over there because you get a terabyte of free photographs which you will never fill if you upload every single JPEG you've ever taken you're going to be hard pushed to fill a terabyte because that is an awful lot of storage and it's free, do it, get over there and then obviously you um, you can come over to the rob9photo.com Flickr group where we post photos and there's little photo challenges or assignments um, every couple of months. And I'm going to, one of the things I did with that, there's a new app as well, which I haven't got it for your Android or your iOS, uh, iPhone or iPod Touch, which is really good. It, it brings photos to the front and center, um, displays them really nicely, it uses a lot of bandwidth, but by the by, you know, it's a big improvement. One of the things I did do was go through and leave a load of groups that I'd never, you know, things like uh, uh, castles where you just put pictures of castles. I got rid of loads and loads of groups. Got down to about, I think I'm in about ten groups now. Ones that I will post my photos to and get involved in the discussions of, and then I will expand that list as I come across different, different groups that way. Um, so I'm involved in that. I have a, I do have a Twitter account. You may follow me on Twitter. I think I'm just scale speeder on Twitter Um, and I mainly use that as an auto poster so whenever I put anything on the website it posts it on Twitter. Uh, I think I've got a couple of hundred followers maybe, to be honest I very rarely go to Twitter, I don't have enough time to look at these things. Um, I'm on Facebook but that's really just a personal thing Um, for me, family, close friends, but I don't even, to be honest, I don't even even really use that very much. I don't fa- post that many photos to it. Um, I've been getting involved in a photo group that one of my friends has set up. But even then, you know, I don't really have that much time. Um, but a couple of things that lots of people talk about are Tumblr and Pinterest. So I got all inspired a couple of weeks ago. I thought, right, I'm going to set up a Tumblr blog. And Tumblr's a bit like, well, any sort of blogging platform like, um, you know, Blogger or Blogspot or... Um, WordPress or uh, Squarespace and the fact that it's very easy to set up and it's a really simple way of producing a nice simple blog and they look beautiful and um, so what I did was I actually uploaded all my photos from my two portfolios or most of them and set up a a, a Tumblr blog which I think is called at Tumblr something like that I'll put the links in the show notes and also Pinterest as well, lots of people talk about Pinterest, which is another, which is a kind of, uh, (laughs) to be honest, I think it's a bit like a copyright nightmare for for photographers, because people just share photos on there of things they like, which is great, because it's sharing links, and it drives traffic to different places, you know, fantastic, so again, I created a, a board, and uploaded a load of photos to there, from my portfolios, again, with some links you know to to, to the website it's not something I I think I'll be uploading very often Um, but I thought I I wanted a a presence there so when you search for it I I would do it Um, and another reason for doing this sort of thing is you can then feed it all back into something called clout if you if you do do a web search for clout and clout's this website where you put in all your details for like Twitter, Flickr uh, Facebook um, all this sort of stuff to kind of feeds it all in and gives you a score. <laughs> Again, take it with a pinch of salt. So you could see your like social networking power. <laughs> um in in the end for me it's all about just giving more link juice to Robnonphoto.com to drive more people to Robnumphoto.com so they become subscribers to the podcast or they simply look at my photos. Or they might at the end of the day I enjoy sharing what I do in terms of my photos and my advice as well, my experiences, the mistakes I make and the, and the challenges I come up against and the successes I have um, and uh, it's my hobby really isn't it, along with photography I mean, I went on, I can't remember what Flickr group it was, but somebody said why do you take photos, and I thought oh, that's a great question, you know, why do I take it and I thought, well because I quite like the adventure of going, getting up, going out, going somewhere new or somewhere old and then just, just just discovering, you know, the the magic that is out there in our everyday environment. Um, just as long as you look hard enough, as long as you compose and frame the photos, um, you, you, you can pull magic out of the mundane almost, and that's what I love about photography. But I also love doing the blog, sharing the photos, getting involved in Flickr and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, in a roundabout way this is a way of saying, if you're thinking about setting up a a really simple blog. Actually, Tumblr is really simple to use. Very easy, and uh, and I would recommend. Well, I recommend it with an asterisk on. Um, I was listening to. I think it was a Digital Cafe f- podcast, an older one, really good podcast by the way. Just look it up. Um, Digital Photography Cafe, I think it's called. And um, I'll put links in the show notes. And they were talking about different blogging platforms, um, and I think the guys on there are big WordPress fans, but. Uh, and I know I have talked about this before in the podcast. In my opinion, if you want to set up a, a simple blog and you're an amateur photographer or even a pro, you can't go wrong with with Google's blog, Blogger or Blogspot. Um, if it's good enough for David Hobby, the strobist, his website, it's probably good enough for most of us um, because it's a really simple blogging platform. And by blogging, what that means is it's a website and the way it works is every time you write an article on the home screen they're in reverse um, uh, date order so the latest ones always appear at the top and then they drop down and you can have lots of different tags for for things so people can find them but it's very robust it's very simple and for me one of the big reasons for using Blogger (laughs) is it's free and I don't think apart from people having their passwords um, Cracked by social engineering you know but because they've got silly easy passwords it hasn't been hacked and one of the reasons why I came came away from WordPress after using it for a couple of years was the sheer amount of hacking that would go on with with WordPress and my site got hacked a couple of times and WordPress is fine if you can stay on top of it all the time constantly updating it um, but in the end, it got hacked twice, and I was like, "Sod this!" Now, p- what I did was I went to Squarespace. Now, Squarespace is a superb option, but you do have to pay for it. You know, so if you, do, as long as you don't mind paying for 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 your web hosting service, Squarespace again, it's a it's a blogging type platform. It's content management system, they call them. I um, mean, you do have to pay for, it but it's very simple. It all updates itself. You don't have to worry about the technical side of it at all. There's loads of different templates and. But I would say you know if you don't want to pay for it, because remember, as soon as you stop paying for it, bong your blog disappear. Your blog disappears. Go with Blogger. Go with Blogspot. Um, but you know another option now would, would be Tumblr. Um, again, it's free. It's very simple. It's and it seems to be the thing of the moment. Um, but get get uh, get stuck in there. Um, a few days ago, managed to get out on a quick sunset shoot after work. Um, it was... We're very lucky to live on the south coast of the UK. Um, because being in the northern hemisphere, we kind of get... and uh, the, Because we're on the south coast, and it's kind of straight across. Um, and, well, I say this, not really straight across. On the solar, it's in like a V. So quite often you get to see sunrises and you can see sunsets because of the way the sun goes across the sky. And there can be spectacular sunsets down at... Um, Leon Solent, Um, and so I went down there just on the off chance. I could, I could. It had been a clear day with a few clouds, so I thought there's a chance. Normally, what could spoil it if there's dark clouds on the horizon is the sun just disappears. But I went down there, set up my tripod in a different place to where I normally go, and you know just started to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. And I'll put I'll put the photo in in the show notes for show two two one, Um, and to be honest as a wide angle shot when I had the 18-55 to on excuse me just taking a sip of my coffee it kind of looked okay but where the photo really came to life was where I snapped on my 55-250 to telephoto lens and zoomed in on where the sun was going down Um, now you have to be very careful when you do this sort of thing you don't want to be looking through your viewfinder at the sun directly unless it's very very dim because you could damage your eyes Um, and Also when you're doing sunset shots, you tend to find the best time for the best colours is actually when the sun has dropped below the horizon and even then wait and wait and wait because you'll probably find that 15, 20, half an hour, 30 minutes after the sun has gone below the horizon the sky will start to light up with all sorts of beautiful purples and blues and, and deep, deep reds. Now the, the shot that I chose to share on Flickr was just as the sun had dipped below the horizon, I think I was zoomed all the way um, in on the horizon, and the sun had just dropped behind this tree and so you got this kind of purpley-ready halo around the tree and then the rest of the sky was this, this golden and yellow colour. Um, and the reason why it looks so unusual is because it's a telephoto shot. Lots of people when you're doing sunsets will do wide angles so you get you know, you get the beautiful sky but I tend to think sometimes with photos a kind of rule of thumb about whether, you sh- whether it's going to be good or not is would it be better if you were standing there watching this sunset or is a photograph better because sometimes photographs kind of enhance situations don't they and a telephoto shot of a sunset is often, it looks a lot more dramatic than it actually did when you were standing there whereas a wide angle doesn't, it kind of looks less um, so I did that now the other trick as well with sunsets is to underexpose them a little bit maybe half, one, a third or maybe even a whole stop and what that will do is it will increase the saturation of, of the colours obviously I was using a I was on a tripod, the, the exposures weren't that short So it weren't that long, but I was on a tripod anyway because it enables you to It can be be a bit boring, it's just standing there going click, waiting for the colors to change click. But what I was doing, I was moving the camera around, trying different angles, going for landscape, going for portrait view, zooming in, zooming out, etc. I did a little video as well on my camera phone, so I'll put that in the show notes as well, so you can see sort of the the wide shot. Um, And it also kind of teaches us that sometimes we should. Ditch or not use quite as often are say our kit lens because when you have your kit lens on your camera it's very tempting just to always use it at like 18mm or 55mm it tends to be one or the other doesn't it you very rarely have it in the middle um, but by putting a telephoto lens on your camera you get all these unusual viewpoints and straight away your photos became, become more unusual and they stand out from the crowd more so maybe if you're trying to work on your own style Trying to work on how you want your photos to look and how to stand out from the crowd, don't use that those standard focal lengths. You know, don't use that 18 millimeter on your crop uh, sensor body. Don't use that 50 millimeter, maybe on your um, on your full frame model. Or if you've got a compact camera, don't you always use it at its widest setting? Um, if you've got an SLR, go even wider or go telephoto. Um, Especially with compact cameras, I'll zoom in a bit uh, and go telephoto and you'll be amazed by by the difference it makes. Um, Okay, so I've also been playing with over the last few weeks the Franca camera. Now you may remember me talking about this maybe even a year ago. It's a plastic fantastic 35mm Lomo type camera, which means that it's probably made in Hong Kong incredibly cheaply. Let's have a look at the bottom, does it say? Made in Taiwan, my apologies. Um, takes 35mm film, is completely manual. The only controls you have are uh, the aperture, which has got four settings from F6 to F16, which roughly equate to a sunny day to a cloudy day. You can wind it on, it's got a very simple um, viewfinder. It does have a hot shoe, watch shoe, watch show, <laughs> film photography podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, what's Intriguing, often about these cameras is the way that they see the world which is a lot softer a lot vignetted and a lot more flary than our digital cameras do so they can be worth playing around with and this Franca one cost me a couple of quid from the car boot sale now I'm pretty sure I'm, I can't be certain but I'm pretty sure I put some black and white film through this last year and was very disappointed that when I developed it all it was all blank because with the Franca NX40 um, the spooling mechanism or the winding mechanism is a little bit finicky and unless you load the film just right it doesn't grab hold of it at all and you end up winding your way through what you think is a roll of 24 or 36 uh, frames when in fact you're still on the first frame and you haven't changed it so the old rule and what I did learn from doing that and from other failures I've had with 35mm when if you're winding the camera on whether it be a lever or a dial always don't look at the little window with the numbers on. Look at on the left-hand side on the top of the camera where the rewind dial is. Watch to see if that is turning. Because if that is turning, you know that the uh, that the uh, the film is winding on. Now that's a bit difficult with auto-wind cameras because they don't always have that bit. In fact, they don't have that bit. Uh, but with your plastic Fantastics, so just check that. Uh, I took the film to Asda and got it developed. Um, I just got it developed and printed didn't bother with any scans uh, because it was only four quid I think or something like that and I was reasonably pleased with the results Um, pretty soft dreamy um, and to be honest if the camera had been more reliable in the fact that it hadn't screwed up a roll of film before I would probably recommend this as as a good alternative to a Lomo type camera like a Diana or something like that because it's 35mm film so it's cheaper to buy and cheaper to process um, but what puts me off about using this really anymore is that unreliability um, the fact that I'm not dead sure if it's going to to wind on or not but as a bit of fun the Frank NX40 you know if you see one of these 35mm plastic cameras going cheap just check the aperture works have a look through the viewfinder so you can actually see, does it wind on and and then give it a test Um, and uh, there it is, there's there's the noise it makes Um, and have a bit of fun with one, but for for heaven's sake, don't use one for a wedding or anything important at all Now, one of the best bargains I've picked up from the car boot over the recent weeks has been a book this one's called National Geographic, The Photographs Um, I would highly recommend this book, Um, very, 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 very nice indeed, Um, and it's a reproduction of uh, photos from that esteemed American magazine, National Geographic, which if you've never looked at, go down to your local newsagents and grab yourself a copy. Basically, they publish articles about the natural world people, animals, science, all sorts of things and what they're known for is the quality and quantity of the photographs they include as well. Now this book I think, he said trying to find the page that has the details on I think was published in 1994. So it covers the past kind of 100 years. Let's have a look. Copyright 1994 National Geographic Society. So it kind of covers the first sort of almost 100 years of photography in the National Geographic and it's all on film. I'm pretty sure there's no digital images in this book at all. And why is that important? I'll talk about that in a minute. But don't worry, it doesn't have loads of old black and white photos in. We're talking mostly colour here. um, Because again, the National Geographic was one of the first publications to really embrace colour with the idea of bringing Realistic, lifelike photos to the masses, so they could experience all these wonderful places in the world. Um, and uh, why is this book so important? And books like it so important? Why is the National Geographic so important? Not simply as a as a tool, so that we can see all these things that are happening in our world, but to photographers in general. You know, why should you have a National Geographic book on your bookshelf, so you can look at it often? Um, I would argue that one of the great challenges of, of being a photographer these days is the sheer amount of work you can look at. But often it's uncurated work. So what I mean is, you know, you go on Flickr, you go on Facebook, you go on Pinterest, you go on Instagram, and there are tens of thousands, there are millions of photographs you can look at by people. But one of the problems is, there's no, how do you know how good they are? If you want to become a better photographer yourself, the way that you do that, in my opinion, one of the ways anyway, is that you look at lots of great photographs and you take lots of photographs. And if you do those two things, you will get better. However, when I say look at great photographs, how do, how do we know as beginning, beginners what a great photograph is? Um, and that's with the, well, where you have the idea of the crea- curator, or the editor, the person who knows what a good photograph is, and then proceeds to show you them. Um, now, I know this might be a bit controversial, you could say, well, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder and stuff like this. Well, it is, but there's certain people that will have been in a situation where uh, they, i.e. photo editors that have been at magazines or publications or publication houses for a number of years and it's been their job to look at tens of thousands of photographs to distill them down into a handful which they then publish so they know (laughs) what a great photograph is in their opinion Um, and obviously this changes from photo editor to photo editor, publication to publication but generally Magazines, for example, like National Geographic, um, like Vogue, say for fashion, or L for fashion, um, will have what's probably considered you know good photographs in them because the people who are producing the publication, one of their ethos is what they believe in is sharing great photographs, and they've looked at lots of photographs so they, they know what to produce. So, again my argument for having a National Geographic book on your shelf is this gives you an idea of what a great photograph can look like it gives you an idea of what you can aspire to with your photography now what we're not talking about here is fine art photography you know um, there's a reason why I kind of I kind of lump National Geographic and something like Vogue together and you might know, think well that's a bit odd isn't it well the reason why say Vogue or L have to be reasonably realistic is because in in their editorial shoots you get normally get near the back of the magazine they have to be fairly realistic in terms of colours and representation because it's all about clothes you know yeah they touch up the models make them look more beautiful and thinner and all this sort of stuff but the clothes have to look kind of a little bit about like what people would who would want to buy them um otherwise there would be a bit be a bit of an uproar and to take that to the next level with National Geographic they you know they have very strict guidelines about how you can edit photographs now I know there's been a few controversies there was one a few years ago where for the cover I think they moved one of the pyramids around or something uh, but in general what you see when you see a National Geographic photograph is what the photographer saw when he looked for his viewfinder. Obviously it might be cropped but generally there's not there's not cloning going along on. There's not too much manipulation of contrast and colour and saturation. You know you won't really see HDRs and by in this book in National Geographic The Photograph because we're looking at film as well again the uh, scope post processing is, is, is more limited and it also gives you a lot more appreciation of how fantastic these photographers were to, you know to get it right in camera so you can almost use a book like this as a as a milestone as, as a standard if you like you th- to go back to every now and again and you look at it and you go right yeah brilliant you know if I want my my photographs to look realistic, I should be aiming to get them you know looking like these photos because when you look at the internet and you look at you know super oversaturated photographs all the time it gives you i think a false impression and i'm just as guilty as everybody as going and producing photographs like that you know with vignettes on with hdr with super contrasted black and whites with grain you know photos you know that go beyond it and start losing i think an element of the truth Where hopefully within National Geographic photographs there's quite a large dollop of truth in there, and I know the camera lies. If you you know you can choose the scene to see, and you can get the photo to tell you what you want. But I think I still think there's a lot of truth in National Geographic photographs. So that's the first bit. You can use this sort of book as a litmus test for your own photographs to compare them. The second bit is about um, kind of the ethos of National Geographic photographers. In the fact that uh, it's all it's all about f eight and b there. You know how do you take a really good photograph? Well, what you've got to do, don't worry about your camera too much. Just set it to f eight, but put yourself in a situation in a location where there will be fantastic subjects. You know, although I've just talked about finding you know the beautiful in the mundane, the beautiful in the in the, in the everyday. You know, these guys in National Geographic put themselves in unusual situations whether it might be hanging off a cliff in Indonesia to uh, photograph people who are um, uh, harvesting honey, um, it could be in a balloon high above the Sahara, it could be on the plains of the Serengeti at night photographing stuff, in the Arctic, Antarctic um, underneath the sea, uh, in a war zone, um, in, a, in, in uh, the rainforest. You know, these guys go where angels fear to tread sometimes and they take the photographs that they bring back. And it's being in that situation. Now, we're not all in situ, we all, can't all do that ourselves, can we? But maybe there's things that are going on in your local area that you can go visit. Festivals. Um, markets um, maybe there's different locations you've never been to where you could put yourself in this unusual situation with there's an unusual and striking subject and F8 and just be there and uh, take the photographs the other thing to take from um, this book um, and, and uh, photography in general is something I just wanted to share with you um, and this again comes back to something called photographer's luck which I talk about an awful lot um, and the idea behind photographer's luck is, you take lots of photographs, and you, you'll probably get more, more better ones. think about Austin Powers in, is it Austin Powers Two? Where right at the beginning he's doing a photo shoot with is it Ivana Trump a lot or, or one of those, and he's got a camera going, click, 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 <laughs> taking lots of photos. In essence, that's what it's all about. Um, and at the beginning, beginning the beginning of the book in the, um, I think it's in the foreword uh, they took the guys writing it is talking about what the uh, national director photographers would do is when they would get together. This is back in the day, the days of film. They would have uh, a tray party. <laughs> Sounds cool, eh? Where they would take all their photos from their assignments, put them in a tray, all going into a room. Say, you know, ten to fifteen photographers, and set up a projector and look through each other's photos. And the idea was to come up with the best tray which you would then give to the photo editor who would then choose the best photos that would go in the go in the magazine but let's just listen to this depending on the assignment photographers can come back with 600 to 800 rolls of film 600 to 800 rolls of film that's about 20,000 to 30,000 frames you know Wow, so just just think about that for a moment. So these photographers are going out for normally one story, which may be one of say four stories in the fi or five stories in the magazine, yet they're taking up to thirty thousand frames, and this is in the days of film, but the pictures are not of twenty thousand different subjects, okay. So they would take those 30,000 photos and then reduce them down to about 80, which they would then share with their fellow photographers on one of these slide parties. So they would have to be different ones. And the the idea is they wanted to create a trace so perfect that the picture editor would then find it nearly impossible to go from the 80 photos that they'd picked, from the 30,000 they'd taken while on assignment, to about the 30 selected for publication. Now, I know, I know that they don't... For Normally now, for, an, for a National Geographic f- story, there's normally nowhere near 30 photos for, for a story, even the main ones. So, just think about that for, for a moment. So, for a publication-grade photograph that's going in National Geographic the photographer, in order to come up with the 30 selected that are going to go in that story, they have to take 20 to 30,000 photographs think about that hit rate, think about how many photographs you take when you go out you know, and how that relates to how many photos you share so for every 10 photos do you share one on on Flickr or Facebook or Twitter or is it for every 100 or is it for every 1000 I did an article not that long ago when I talked about the simplest way to become a better photographer is to share less is to be a more ruthless editor is to say well I'm not going to share that because it's not a great photo and it often means that you'll choose to share a lot less than you would or you take a lot more photographs even if you're in front of the same scene say that sunset scene that I took the other night I must have taken I don't know, 120 photos probably, click, click, click just trying different angles, waiting for the sun to change and I came up with one photo from all of that one and again it's a conscious decision not to share more than one because there was probably ten that looked alright and were probably just as good as the one I shared but I think it's very important especially within you know in Flickr don't share a number of photos of the same subject that were almost the same don't do it pick one and share that one and that will be a lot more striking a lot more dynamic like these National Geographic photographers when you're in front of a scene don't just assume that after you've taken ten that's enough Take 20, take 30, really work it, and then move on. Because you'll probably find that there'll be a little bit of magic, maybe, in one of those photos. Right, so there we go. National Geographic, uh, the photographs. Look out for it in a second-hand store, or you can probably still get it on Amazon, actually. It might have probably been updated. But it's a great book, a great litmus test, a great standard for all of us to aspire to and to keep uh, our photos on the right track with a good dollop of truth in with them. Well, thanks for uh, listening this week. I know it's been a while since the last one. Everything's been a bit busy. Um, thanks to everybody for taking part in the Flickr group, putting their photos in, taking part in the assignment. Thanks to everybody for commenting on iTunes with the reviews. If you want to help the SCL Photography Podcast, get, over, get on over to iTunes if you use iTunes or um, Feedly, if you use Feedly or Stitcher, find the S C L Photography Podcast and put a review on, add us some stars, it really does help us go up those charts so we get more listeners um, Thanks to Everyday Jones who do the intro and outro music you hear on the podcast, but most of all thanks to you for downloading and listening to the podcast. My name's Rob from robnanphoto.com email me please with any ideas or comments for the blog or the podcast scalespeeder at gmail.com that's s-c-a-l-e s-p-e-e-d-e-r at gmail.com and hopefully pretty soon I'll see you on Flickr